Everybody talks about using data to inform decision-making, about meeting the mandates of the Evidence Act, but fewer actually do it. My next guest is one of those outstanding exceptions. She's the acting evaluation officer at the EPA and, as of last week, a recipient of the Data Coalition's annual Datum Awards, Catherine Dawes. Ms. Dawes, good to have you on. Thank you for having me, Tom. And let's begin with your title as evaluation officer or acting evaluation officer. We should point out you are a career federal employee with the EPA. What does the evaluation officer do? There. So it's a required position for the Evidence Act. The Evidence Act has three required positions. Uh, the evaluation officer is one. We also have a chief data officer and a statistical official. And the role of the evaluation officer is to help coordinate the overall agency response to implementing the Evidence Act. But the position also has some specific standalone responsibilities for program evaluation and using program evaluation as one, advancing program evaluation as one of the many different uh, tools and strategies that we have for responding to the need for building and using evidence. And a big part of that is how do we use data uh, as as a part of, of delivering on the Evidence Act. Program evaluation has been a fairly standard function as long as there's been programs, program analysts and program evaluators. So did you do this type of work before the Evidence Act? And how does this change the job of of program evaluation? So program evaluation, it is longstanding in the federal landscape. However, it's been one of those items that has uneven investment across the federal family. So part of the Evidence Act vision was let's bring all agencies to uh, this to using this tool and using it consistently. Um, EPA has had program evaluation as part of its, its work before, but because we didn't have a law or statutory authority for consistently supporting it, it's had its ups and downs at the agency. And we're not unique in that space. Um, other, other federal agencies have experienced that as well. We do have agencies that are leaders in, in uh, evaluation and, have had, and they have statutory and ongoing authority and even set-asides uh, for funding program evaluation. But that's not the case across the full federal family. So the Evidence Act was to help bring that home. And EPA has embraced uh, that enthusiastically in terms of saying, yeah, we're, we're going to start using program evaluation um, to, to help us with our decision making, to help us um, improve our program design and how we're delivering our services to the American people. Because EPA has a number of functions depending on the medium uh, that they're controlling, air, water, and so forth. And each one of those has many, many programs. So the programs continue whether or Absolutely. not they're evaluated. So this mm-hmm. sounds like a way of doing better evaluation, not so much for budget justification, but for program improvement. Would that be fair to say? Certainly decisions get made um, uh, based on any evidence information and program evaluation is part of that. But the, the real animating vision of the, of the Evidence Act is let's improve programs. You know, we're, let's make sure we have the best, highest and best information to make decisions on uh, in government so that we have the best working government that we that we can have. Um, and so that's that's the, you know, the animating vision of the Evidence Act. And certainly that is what uh, federal evaluators are embracing and trying to help uh, agencies deliver on. And give us an example, name a program that might be evaluated, and what are the elements, the data elements that define the program such that you can have some objective evaluation of it? 
If you look at our strategic plan, we have a draft strategic plan. Uh, people can, can look at it now. And you'll see in there that we have a learning agenda. And one of uh, the areas of the learning agenda is about safe drinking water. And um, how can we ensure that uh, the strategies that we're using help safe drinking water systems comply with, with the regulations that we have out and lead to better environmental outcomes, right? So the evaluations that we're doing there, so we're, so we're having some really um, important discussions with our co-regulators about how can we test different strategies um, how can we set up evaluations to allow us to know which strategies are most effective and where they're most effective and with which systems they're most effective? Different types of compliance and enforcement strategies have different levels of effectiveness depending on how you deploy them. And so we want to learn more about that. And so it's working with our co-regulators. This is exciting. It's, it's working with states and tribal co-regulators to identify, well, where do we want to set up evaluations so that we learn and then do better on delivering compliance. And what might be some of the data elements? For example, how clean the water is. There's lots of data that relates to that. What their, say, inputs are to clean water, how much, I don't know, I'm making this up, how much chlorine they have to use or how much whatever else they put in the water. So in, in this case, it would be more about what is the data that's letting us know that these systems are actually in good working order. So that's the kind of data that we're talking about. You know, the environmental data that you're talking about is something that the agency has been using very effectively over time to understand the different, you know, whether our water is getting cleaner or is our air easier to breathe and the like. But what the Evidence Act is asking us to do is saying, well, the program elements that you're putting in place, the inputs that you're that you're putting in and the outputs that we're getting, they're actually leading to cleaner air, cleaner water. That's something that we have not been able to do as much as we would like, but the Evidence Act is giving us a big opportunity to take advantage of that. We're speaking with Catherine Dawes. She's acting evaluation officer at the EPA and a recipient of the Data Coalition's Datum Awards. And tell us more about that, the Datum Awards, and what do you think you did to deserve this one? Well, it was very interesting to get that. It was a complete surprise. I did not uh, expect to be getting the this award for the evaluation officer function. The Data Coalition, as you know, has, has been an organization that is advocating for actually better quality data and then actually the use of better quality data. And with the evidence that they wanted to recognize that this kind of work and these different roles that we have on implementing the Evidence Act are are all important. So they could have just recognized the chief data officers, right? But they decided, no, we actually want to recognize the other roles because of the importance of using data. One of the reasons why they said I got the award is I have been part of the federal evaluation community for a number of years, advocating for better evaluation policy at the federal level that will allow more federal agencies to invest in program evaluation and support evaluation to to help us continuously improve government. And because of the work that I've done there as part of this network, and I'm just representative of a broad 
network of people who have been consistently investing in this. And you mentioned that this job is required by the Evidence Act. Is that full-time for you? And if so, what did you do before this? It is full-time for me. I've done a number of different jobs at EPA. I was the director of the Evaluation Support Division, which was charged with supporting evaluation studies and evaluation capacity building across the agency. I did that for a number of years. And then the agency transitioned for a time to focusing very strategically and very a deep investment in Lean and Six Sigma tools and building a, a management system for continuous improvement. And I was a part of that as well. I transitioned for a, for a time um, out of program evaluation, but now I'm back to it because the evidence act said, hey, we need, we need evaluation. We need people who are experienced with evaluation and to promote it within the agencies. And so I came back to it after being away from it for a while. And you must be impressed over the years with how much the technology has improved, the ability to gather data and to put data together and to apply tools to data to understand what it's telling you. That's really come a long way, hasn't it? Oh, my goodness. So I um, happen to teach program evaluation at the George Washington University for the Trappenberg School. And I like to tell my students, hey, you know, I used to actually open up boxes with pieces of paper in them. That's how we did the data. We did not have Excel. We did not have you know, that, that, and that's even basic, basic. And we did not have some of these tools for data visualization that we have now that are really, really exciting. I mean, that's a, it's an extraordinary change in the role of supporting evidence building. And it's really an exciting, actually, it's an exciting component of being an, uh, an evaluation officer in the federal government right now is how do we bring all of these new tools to bear to, to help advance decision making at the agency. Catherine Dawes is the acting evaluation officer at the EPA, and she's a recipient of a Data Coalition Datum Award. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Tom. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy. with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm 
I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with 
uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing, if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WAPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.